And welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast for your culture to go. I'm Frank Cravello. Uh, the, the man on the screen next to me is not Richard Carmen. Has as much hair as Richard Carmen, uh, but a lot younger. Richard's a little under the weather, uh, so uh, we uh, brought in some reinforcements. This is his fourth cap with the Serie A Sit Down. I think it's his fourth. He's co-founder, co-host of the State of Play Pod, co-founder of AC Milan Brothers. Uh, he's written for Football Italia. He's been featured in The Guardian, AS Roma English, These Footy Times, uh, Scottish Football. He also golfs, um, which one of these days we got to meet and get on a course and and, and see do. who can hack it better. But uh, Matt Santangelo is with us. Ciao, Matt. Hey, Frank. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to be on. Obviously, we'd love to have full staff here with Richard, but uh, the show goes on, and obviously there's still plenty to talk about around Serie A, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this. Awesome, awesome. How is the golf game, by the way? Uh, it's going, it's going, uh, you know, we're, 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 slowly, surely getting to where we need to be. So it's, you know, it's, it's a slow burn, but you know, I love the grind. Yeah. It's, it's terrible over here right now. I mean, usually before my league season starts, I have a lot of time to, you know, I'm usually hitting the range a couple of days a week. There's yeah. simulators like X golf and stuff like that. And I get to, I, I get to play plenty just to kind of get into a rhythm before league starts. And I just haven't been able to do that. And in my league, I'm a for nine holes. I'm a six handicap. In my first two weeks, I shot 51 and 52. Clearly, <laughs> clearly behind uh, where I need to be. So um, you know, I, I, my my golf game. I'm going into. I'm going in retiro. <laughs> I'm getting, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. uh, and and getting back on the range and getting after yeah. it, so I can get those get back get back down into low 40s, low 40s, mid 40s, which is what I normally play. So. Um, so we'll see what happens and, uh, you know, plenty of Italian football to keep me distracted from getting out on a course or a range too. So, um, you know, so there's, so there's always that. So, but good to have you on, um, what, you know, before we jump on, yes, Michael Block had a week of the PGA. I'd love to have been, I would love to have dunked a hole in one in front of Rory McIlroy. So that's a story for a lifetime. But anyway, um, before we jump in, we've got a few topics to cover. We're going to go with a little bit different on our format. We're not going to recap all of the games from the weekend. We're just going to hit some of the the big topics as we're winding down the season. Uh, but, Matt, I'm going to give you the floor here a little bit, talk about some of the things that you're up to and share with our viewers and, uh, and you know, and the, and the guys in the chat, and then also the listeners of our podcast, what you've been up to these days. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously things are forever changing, right? Our schedules are constantly bombarded and you have to kind of pivot and, and you know make accommodations so um, maybe not writing as much as I'd like to lately uh, you know off the top you mentioned you know I've done stuff for Football Italia um, you know Guardian Ace Roma um, I've kind of scaled back a little bit just because I I can't juggle everything right you know golf does take precedence sometimes <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. so it's obviously AC Milan you know obviously you guys can see my tweets you guys can see I'm very active on Twitter um, with the Please Milan tweet um, obviously you know people get on me for it if they don't win. They think that actually has an impact, which is pretty pretty incredible to think. But nonetheless, um, yeah, State of Play Pod, me and Martino Pucci are doing, um, trying to get that relaunched sometime soon. Again, conflicting schedules just makes it a little more difficult. Um, but we're also doing a lot of new content, streaming on Twitch, doing a lot of YouTube content, him and I, um, talking about AC Milan, right? That's the, that's the club you guys could see in the back. 
So that's pretty much what I've been working on. You can also throw in a little bit of Serie A fantasy content. So if you guys are um, someone who someone who dabbles with that, and you make sure you guys are checking in onto my timeline. I do do pretty much weekly articles on players to watch for, you know, based on the value, based on how they're performing, and whether or not you should consider. I actually hit pretty well the past couple of weeks with Simone Verdi getting some key goals for Verona, who um, you know maybe isn't getting that much attention, but they're in that conversation for um, relegation to get out there. So um, yeah, you guys obviously, if you have any. Um, interest in what I'm doing, I'm always posting about it on Twitter. So at Matt underscore Santangelo is where you can find everything. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And uh, I know that Martino and I have been trying to coordinate Richard and I owe you guys a visit here soon. Uh, so hopefully we'll uh, hopefully get, hopefully we'll get to knock one out on your side uh, here, here in the not too distant future. So, uh, but let's jump into, uh, you know, some of the big topics here in Serie A, some of the uh, talking points that I think are necessary to cover as we're uh, getting into the last two uh, match weeks of the season. Uh, and the the biggest story, obviously, that came down was uh, yesterday, uh, the courts ruling that Juventus be deducted 10 points uh, from their current uh, point total here in Serie A, dropping them to seventh uh, on 59 points uh, and uh, moving Milan back into fourth position. But I want to talk about Juventus here, Matt. Um, they're now in a position where Champions League looks entirely unlikely because even if they somehow miraculously overtake Milan and everybody else and then they overcome Atalanta and Roma and grab fourth, UEFA, there's talk that UEFA may still have a word about this. There's talk that there might even be more penalties here against Juventus. That I think no matter what they do in the last two weeks of the season, there's no Champions League whatsoever. So... uh, Talk about the impact this has on on Juventus and maybe Juventus supporters and and and, and what how it might impact how the team looks uh, in the next in the next year maybe next couple of years. It was interesting um, because the, around the time of the like the initial announcement or when this was sort of picking up steam, right? Everything happening with Juventus investigation, the financial uh, ish situation they have going on, they have a capital gains dilemma. So there's a whole. T- slew of kind of investigations going on with this club at the moment but um we actually had lorenzo beto who was the chief editor of football italia and he's he's a juventus fan he actually goes to a lot of these games he covers them for football italia so we essentially boots on the ground um in torino trying to get the vibe of what's going mm-hmm. on and this was announced in the build-up to the world cup right so i think they kind of timed the strategically timed that where hey let's get this out there let's try to see if we can kind of uh, limit the damage, get the World Cup done, and then we'll have to you know, navigate the season as it goes. And frankly, Juventus did a really good job. I mean, it, you know, it, it feels like it was three, four seasons ago where they had such a horrendous start to the season and everyone was saying Allegri's got to go. They bounced out of the Champions League. They were so far down in the table. And then you threw the fact that they were under investigation for a slew of different things. People were saying, yeah, like the time is to make the change now. But Juventus made this gradual ascent up the table Maybe not in the sexiest fashion, right? Because Max Allegri is not going to play the type of football that you know maybe uh, 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 draws in the in, in the in the plaudits and praise. But at the end of the day, you know they were in second place, right? They were a team that was real in the thick of things for the top four and, and almost a shoe in the way they were playing. And then this comes down, right? So I think that they Serie A potentially UEFA. I think this is their their position now to almost make an example of Juventus. And I know people have said, well, 
how's this going to impact the league, right? Because Juventus is such a revenue generator. They're such a big draw. They get top clubs in there. They have, they have such prestige. You know, they have the most titles in league history. So how is this going to impact the rest of the league as we see it? And, you know, I can understand that argument, that part of the argument. But at the same time, I think it's it's unjust when, you know, AC Milan and AS Roma have to toe the line, play play by the rules, and, you know, they have to sell players like Roma used to. Milan willingly bowed out of their Europa League because, you know, they were trying to play right with UEFA. So for people to say, well, Juventus could, look, how does this shape up for the league and not take the accountability for, you know, some of the things they kind of skirted on by. I mean, Frank, we, we looked at some of the transfers they've had over the years, you know, Rolando Madragora going for 20 million to Udinese, Stefano mm-hmm. Soraro getting sold to Genoa for their then club record fee, I believe. You look at all these sorts of movements from players and you're thinking and you're scratching your head like, this doesn't seem correct. Like, no. we all know what type of players these are. We all know what they're doing. And then you throw in all the evidence that was that was surfacing, um, you know, months prior with the WhatsApp chat and, and you know, how they were kind of fixing certain things um, when it came to paying out salaries and wages you know, during the pandemic. They're a publicly traded company, Juventus. Yeah. That's, that's financial doping. That's, yep. by all accounts, illegal. And th- this idea that we should let them skate on by and because it's going to affect the league is not fair to the rest of the league who are competing, who are really trying to go into that top four conversation. I mean, we even see it, Frank, in the Premier League. Like a team, like a Brighton. Imagine yeah. you kicking a Brighton out of a, t- a top four spot because of your know, financial regularities and financial doping and all these sorts of things. The, it should be on merit. It should be on the performances on the field. And that's what we have to go by. I know Juventus on the pitch, as Jose Mourinho alluded to, you know, they got the results on the pitch, right? But at the end of the day, you can't let these things skate on by because what does it look from what, what does it look like from optics if you're someone on the outside looking in at Serie A? Yeah. That is trying to legitimize itself is being in that conversation of the Premier Leagues, of the La Liga, as far as the brand, as far as the product, as far as the marketing, as far as the overall experience that Serie A offers. If you just let these things go on top of some of the racial issues with Romelu Lukaku and all those sorts of things, you have to do something. You can't just let these things go. I understand the frustration from the Juventus fans because you feel like, you know what, you missed out on the top four last year sort of saw that cycle ending, you know, nine years in a row, you won the league. And now all of a sudden things are starting to feel like it's almost a complete teardown. But at the same time, the, the, someone has to beat the fall man on this and, and Juventus has to face some sort of punishment that is pretty, pretty severe. I, 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 I'm with just about everything you said here. I mean, I, I remember before the 15 point penalty got handed down and the run that they went on. And I even said it on Twitter. I said, Juve is going to one nil their way to this title. Um, because, and, and that's how they were playing. And even yeah. after the, even after the punishment was made it out, the first one, that's, they, they kept playing that way. Yeah. Um, you know, and now, um, I, I don't accept that, I, you know, the one thing I don't accept, I don't accept that, uh, I'm not sure if I accept that it was a distraction for the Juve players after, you know, learning just shortly before kickoff that they were deducted 10 points because. I agree. Yeah. Do you? No, no, no. I, I, I think I, I think we're on the same page in a sense. The way the league handled it, yeah, was was absolutely amateur hour. It was very mm-hmm. pedestrian, and it was very Mickey Mouse. It looked, yeah. it looked very unpolished, and it was just like, yeah, let's just put this out now. 
when you had months and months and months to make these decisions. And from what I'm reading too, and again, I don't have all the information in front of me. I don't have everything, every fine detail, but there is the potential that they can appeal it again. Like, what is this going to go into next season? Next season, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. at some point, like the league has to take control of it and leave it to this league, leave it to the Serie A officials um, and 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 like a couch show to do um, everything so half-assed. I don't know if I can curse on this show, but half-assed. You can, yes. <laughs> where it's almost as if it's like, wait, Nick, now you're going to announce this. And even Jose Mourinho, he was like. You know, I I you know, I understand. You know, we all know that the, the kind of back the background information, but for it to be handled like this, for us to have to wait till a thirty sixth match day to kind of understand, and now for teams to be shifting around and look, the conversation is also not just affecting top four, right? Like you have teams that are potentially vying for Europa League. So how yeah. does that impact the Europa League teams and the teams that are trying to jump into those spots? The money that means to them if they are able to clinch those things. So it's a domino effect. I understand the impact more so on the league. But yeah, I think the, the way this this was abs- absolutely dished out and released was was amateur. It was very sloppy. Well, in in, in that sense, yeah, I mean, it's let's stick it to let's stick it to Juve and show them that they're not above the rest of the league is is the way they, you know, is ultimately the way they wanted to go about doing it. I mean, there was conversations that you know, nothing was going to be figured out until late in June yeah. uh, prior to when, you know, there has to be a formal, uh, you know, submission to UEFA of what clubs are going to play in what competitions in Champions League, Europa right. League and Conference League. So that something was going to get ultimately decided. The timing, you know, it's interesting. Did it Should it have just, you know, should it have distracted the players? I don't know. I guess I look at it from the standpoint that 10 points still – with a game in hand, you win, and you're two back of Milan, and there's motivation to beat them, and you're back in that you're back in a top four position, you know, with a chance to to close it out on the last match day and and still still grab fourth, you know, there's there's some of that going on, um, I, but I also don't want to take away because I watched the game, I don't want to take away from Empoli's performance at all. They were yeah. they were just they were fantastic, um, and uh, you know, penalty or no penalty, distractions or not, Empoli played brilliantly against Juventus yeah. on Monday night um, and deserved to win the match. So, um, and there's still the whispers that Seferin at 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 uh, at, at UEFA might do something about this still yeah. too. So, their, yeah, their whole Super League. Yep. Situation. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, should it could it have been handled better? Could they have waited until June, which is what kind of everybody thought they were going to do, and 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 then just make the decision there? Yeah, sure, but uh, I don't know if they just wanted to make the statement that hey, we need to do something now because you know we want the teams to know at the end of the season where they stand, right. not by June thirtieth where they stand. So and leave everybody in limbo. And I think that maybe that there might be some theory that um, teams have. You know, they're using that month or handful of weeks after the season is over with to start figuring out, you know, how they're going to assemble their squad for the next season based on what competition that they're going to be in. You know, mm-hmm. and if you're a Milan and you don't qualify for the Champions League and you end up in the Europa League, you're probably you're probably looking at having to make some different decisions in terms of your strategy and how you build your team, um, you know, where you're a you know, if you're a Juventus and you stay in Champions League and you know that that revenue is coming, 
you can be a little bit more aggressive in your transfer dealings yeah. and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, so I think that there might've been an element of that too. Who knows? I mean, I, you know, if I, I got a better chance of picking the winning lottery numbers than, than telling you what Italian courts are going to do, uh, telling you what some of these sport prosecutors are going to do on a day-to-day basis, to be honest. So, um, um Frank, on that, on that note, when you mentioned, um, you know, the performance by Empoli and, um, how flat Juventus look uninspired, um, we we will never know how much the whole ruling attributed to the the, the, the poor performance by Juventus. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of things kind of boiling over amongst you know probably a lot of the players, right? A lot of things have come out in the media about Angel Di Maria, who who looks like he's obviously going to be leaving. He's he's not going to stay at Juventus with, with everything going on. But even Dusan Vlahovic, interest from the Premier League, Chelsea, and Bayern Munich. Yeah. So yeah. I think there was already sort of that tension and that 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 um, the locker room issue going on there. That I think like the the final nail was the actual ruling that was like okay, like this is the final blow, like the haymaker that knocks Juventus. And um, what has been a very like very very difficult season as far as how Allegri has been perceived and also how some of these players have reacted and responded to the way he's done things, you know. Some of the players they brought in, you know, Paredes on a pretty expensive loan, Pogba with his injuries, the way Vlahovic has been handled, Di Maria, Chiesa being injured. Like, it's been an absolute disaster season for Juventus. Yes. So I think it's one of those things where you look at the collective results, you look at maybe some of the rifts going on between player and coach, and then you have the ruling here, and it's like one of those, if you're not a Juventus fan, it's almost like a perfect disaster. Like, you're loving this from mm-hmm. a sporting standpoint. But at the same time, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you have to tip your cap to Empoli. But at the end of the day, this was by this was by no means a strong Juventus team, even in some of their matches that they played this year. Because I think they have what double digit losses this year. This team yes. has been perfect. Yes. So, Juve is probably Juve is arguably the big brand of this league. Um, you know. Most people, when you want to play word association and say Serie they'll tell you Juventus um, before they'll tell you anybody else. Um, where does this put the league with their their big brand taking a hit? My, my, my argument is this, Matt. If we were talking about the mid-2010s with Milan and their banter era, Inter having their problems, this puts... This puts City really behind the pack, and by behind the pack, behind Bundesliga, behind Liga, behind even the Portuguese league, you could make the argument for. Um, I think that you know, well, while the Juve fans will tell you, you know, take take down our team, you know, you're just going to hurt the league, you're going to hurt the image of the league, et cetera, et cetera. I think with the kind of the financial you know, ascendancy that Milan are finally starting to get into some of the, you know, with the health, with what they've been able to accomplish in the last couple of seasons, what Inter has been able to accomplish getting into the Champions League final, Napoli walking the league this season, you know, and, 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 and being consistent. Lazio now, you know, you know, playing well under Saudi, you know, some of the other seven sisters playing at a very high level, Roma getting the Europa final, Fiorentina getting the conference final. I don't think this hurts 
the league as much, you know, from an image standpoint, from a quality standpoint, as it would have, say, maybe six or seven or eight years ago? What do you say? Um, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, given the fact that, you know, a lot of the teams that you just mentioned were paling in comparison to what Juventus were doing. Juventus were running the league. They were getting, um, you know, Champions League final appearances under Max Allegri, you know, coming up against one of the strongest Barca teams, you know, we, we've seen in recent years, um, and also Real Madrid, right? Like two teams that are perennial leads, right? So they were, by all accounts, carrying this league, right? Because Milan and Inter were dealing with their issues. Napoli pressed them on until the very end of that season, had a very historic season but by their accounts. You know, they were a couple points off the title themselves. Um, I think it was 2017. And then Roma had their 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 glimpses, you know, with their beating of uh, Barcelona and making some deep runs. But I think ultimately, yeah, I would absolutely agree with you, Frank, that the fact that if this happened, you know, six, seven years ago, when Juventus were almost carrying this league from a financial standpoint, from an attraction and appeal standpoint, then yes. But I think people have seen in recent years with Juventus, I mean, even before last year when they didn't get top, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't really quite reach where they wanted to reach. They were a team that was underachieving. They were on the decline. You know, the Buffons, the Chiellinis, all these guys were sort of walking out the door and they were on, you know, heading out to the sunset. So it was pretty evident and clear that the, that cycle was done. Yeah. And then bringing back Allegri, I think was trying to get one last leg, one last push um, with some of the additions they made. But I think you're right. I think that Milan are in a good position where they're turning a bend. I know it might seem grim at this point in recent games and even in recent weeks um, with the fact that they're not really getting strong results. But financially speaking, the books look good. They're getting some top players. They made a semifinal run, whether you want to call it Fugazi or fraudulent or whatever the case may be. They were still in a semifinal. Um, and you have Inter who were in a final. They're 90 minutes away from winning one against a historic Manchester City side. Um, and beyond some of the top clubs, right, because we all know what Napoli's done and we have to respect that, I think there's something to be said about a coach like Roberto De Cherby going to the Premier League and mm-hmm. getting the plaudits and praise from someone like Pep Guardiola. Yeah. I think those things, given the eyeballs and the the views that are on the Premier League on a given basis, for them to vouch for him to vouch for a coach like De Cherby and for them to have such success to the point where Brighton makes their first European qualification in club history, I think it speaks volumes to what this league can offer going forward. You know, Graham Sunis and, and many people were skeptical of Roberto Cherby taking this job. We'll look at his CV seven jobs in nine years. Yeah. But we know, Frank, we know we watched him at Benevento. Glimpses of playing good football despite being very limited of resources. We yeah. saw what he did at Sassuolo. So this is a good coach who wasn't really afforded the luxuries of pretty, you know, hefty and fruitful markets. He goes to the Premier League and what does he do in not even a full season? He gets them into Europe, Euro, European spot. I think it's a testament to what the quality Serie A and Italy can offer from a sporting standpoint on the field, but also some of the tacticians that are coming up. And even Paladino is, is someone we have to respect from Monzo, given how he's turned around that team after a very difficult start. And they're in eighth place currently in their first season in Serie A. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Most definitely. Uh, last quick question on Juventus. Uh, how do they clean this up? How do they clean up their image? Um, you know, or, or have they, have they start, do you think they've taken steps? So, you know, that maybe aren't noticeable. I mean, obviously a lot of the key officials, you know, bowing out and resigning, you know, is a step, but with what's left there, are they, are they doing the right things? And, you know, I I think that, you know, it's, it's, 
it's going to be an image problem for the rest of for City A fans of other clubs and for casual fans of City A that aren't Juve fans. You know, <clears throat> how do they clean this up and how do they become something that people look at and say, yeah, I, I look forward to watching this team and, you know, I'll, I'll take them seriously and honestly again. Yeah, I mean, as far as the punishment goes, you have to. I feel like they have to take that on the chin because I think at this point, everyone's looking at them and thinking, yes, they, they clearly did something. They're at fault. There's got to be some sort of accountability. Um, and you hope that with, you know, the certain officials and being out of the picture, um, then almost taking this punishment and potentially missing out on top four was um, the, the, the force needed to require um, – excuse me, the force, the forceful action that needed to be done maybe a couple of years ago where people were saying they kind of need to rebuild now, mm-hmm. right? When they brought Pirlo in, people were thinking, you know what, like you got a young coach, an experienced coach, like that's not typically what something Juventus would do. Get an inexperienced coach with a team that is somewhat ready to win. Right. Um, I think they're in a position now where they need to trim the fat. There's going to be top, several players in the squad that do leave in the summer, but you've seen them usher in some of these youngsters that have some yes. promise. Erling Jr. is a very good a very good player. You have Miretti, you have Fagioli, you have Galti. You have guys in this team that, you know, if you want to put them around the Locatellis, the Vlahoviches, and some of the other players, you can make it still a pretty competitive team. I think they have to get back to that. They have to get a good coach that can play a different brand of football, a more progressive style of football, because what Allegri is doing hasn't been working. I think it's interesting, though, with the whole Allegri return situation. When has a return to from a, for a coach or even a top player to a club worked out? Because Saki's, Saki's return to Milan was brutal. Like, <laughs> as but, an but example, even like Shevchenko coming back to Milan. Yep. Um, you have again with Allegri here. You have I mean Jose Mourinho. You you have so many instances where it's almost impossible to to, to light that fire again. You know, light that um, that that passion again and and get the same success. So. I think people were skeptical about that, but they sacked, sorry, they sacked Allegri because they wanted a more progressive style of football. So they bring in Sorry, but then don't give him the time that we're seeing Lazio give him to build mm-hmm. a good style of football with the right pieces that he needs. And then they go and bring Allegri back in. So I think, again, Juventus need to get to a position where they, they have a, a more of an identity shift. They get young players in there that can play cornerstone roles. They get a coach that can play an attacking uh, style of football that is exciting, that can get fans um, back into this team. Because even with some of the results that they had, Frank, people are still upset. They were outraged at how Allegri's handled things and his style of coaching. It's not working. Juventus need to dawn a new era. And I think, unfortunately, for better or for worse, this is the time to do it. If you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? When are you going to bring in these young players? When are you going to have a shift in, in identity and get back to being a team that can be very competitive again because they can clearly do it. But yes. I think the way the landscape of the league is, it's not going to be an overnight um, fix. Agreed. Agreed 100%. So let's see what happens. And, I, you know, you're, you're now getting a lot of the Allegri out calls and, you know, certainly there's going to be some players moving on. I like what you said about all of the young players because I think they've all impressed uh, at one point or another during the course of this season. So, it's not like the, you know, it's not like that this is going to be a teardown and rebuild at Juve. The cupboard's not totally bare. Uh, you know, some players are going to move on, yes. Uh, but um, there's pieces there to make this team remain competitive. Um, 
you know, and, and continue to compete for European places, continue to com- compete for top four. Uh, you can't rule them. You can never rule the Juventus out for a Scudetto. It's just a matter of how the team's going to be structured beyond this. So um, clearly the biggest winner from Monday, I think, was Milan. And not just because we support them. Um, they were on, and, and maybe even more so Stefano Pioli. Because um, they were on the brink of fifth. They were going to need to rely on either Lazio or Inter slipping for them to get into fourth, which I argue Inter's running is just absolutely brutal. And there's a there was certainly good chance for them to uh, you know to slip up, especially with focusing on a Champions League final. Well, now Milan are in fourth. They go from being fifth, needing to win out and needing help, to because of this ruling, needing to win one of their last two games to lock up a top four spot and be back in the Champions League next season. Um, a conversation that you and I had over Twitter, um, and I think it was a respectful one, was yeah, the Pioli out, Pioli in conversation. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can do, a, I think we might be doing point counterpoint here, but I want to get your take first. Okay, they get they win one of these last two. They're back in the Champions League next season. Uh, where do you stand with Pioli? I'm not purely out, but I'm not purely in at the same time. And I think okay. it's, again, that's like a, such a lame answer to give you, but I think there's hashtag, a, I, hashtag purely neutral. Yeah, purely, I'm like, <laughs> get that, I'm get a, that trending Richard. <laughs> I'm completely middle of the aisle at this point, because I think, look, if, if you sold this to Milan fans and you presented this to Milan fans at the beginning of the season, Hey, we're not going to win the title. We're going to finish top four. We're going to get a semifinal berth in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Everyone would have taken that. Everyone would have taken that. Because the fact of the matter is they know this team wasn't built to, in my opinion, to repeat and to defend their their title. Um, you wish Milan had a, a stronger title defense because they are Milan. You, you want a, a team that has taken such a long time to get back to the summit of Italian football to have a more legitimate title defense. Yeah. And at least if Napoli is going to take it or another club was going to take it from you, at least do it with a little bit more... Uh, Guile and 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 in respect for the matter, but I think at the same time, the way this season's gone, the way Pioli's sort of navigated certain games, it left my it left me scratching my head. And I even looked to the game against Sampdoria that you know Milan won five one um, as a as a weird example of okay, we're up five one, right? Like Leao has recently come back from an injury. Giroud's 35, 36 years old. You obviously want to load manage some of these players because we know we have the big game against Juventus and these games are crucial down the stretch. I think a p- players should have gotten more opportunity there. Yassi Nami mm-hmm. should have gotten more minutes. And I'm not saying they're world beaters, but when you spend what we spent on these players, given how restricted we are with our budget, you have to you sort of see out what these players can give you. And I think yeah. it comes back to um, more so management, but also ownership. Everyone has to take the accountability in the way this season has gone um, from the market, the market failures, right? Paolo Maldini. We love Paolo Maldini, Frank. Like, this guy's a legend by all accounts. And he gets us as a director, uh, our first title in, in, in a decade. But I think at the same time, there's so many different components to a transfer. There's so many different components of scouting. And I think the Semper Milan guys made a great point on their podcast where they say, hey, you know what? Maldini has gotten his defenders right. Malik Chow, he got Tomori, Kalulu, Teo Hernandez, right? He's able to smooth, smooth over a defender 
and make that sort of t- calming touch where you make that phone call and you get it from Paul Maldini, it's something special. Mm-hmm. But Moncada, some of the players that he's wanted from the attack in the midfield, I feel like Maldini has to kind of somewhat throw his ego aside as being the guy that's like, hey, I am Milan as a director. Like, I am the epitome of AC Milan. And let a guy like Moncada or even Mazzara have their sort of voice and their opinion in some of these market dealings because I don't know how you feel about the what he said about Paulo Dybala and Luani and some of these other players that Milan could have gotten, but the complexity of this season could have changed drastically had we gone other ways with our market, you know? So I, I kind of, tr- I try not to be completely against Pioli because at the end of the day, we saw what lineup he had to run out there in a UCL semifinal. Matteo Benetti even said it best. You know, it's, 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 a, re- it's a, re- a privilege and, and a reward that Simone Inzaghi can bring the likes of Marcelo Brozovic, Romelu Lukaku, and a Robin Gosens off the bench. And we're having Junior Macias start a UCL semifinal for AC Milan. Like, I can't be completely against Pioli because, again, he's working with what he has. I just yeah. think the timing of certain things that he's done from a rotation standpoint and from a personnel implementation standpoint has been very questionable. I will say this, though. If you get top four and management and ownership insist and say, this is our guy, we have him until 2025, we're going to back him, then I'm for it. Because I think at the end of the day, you have to be, if you're going to have him as coach, you have to prove it and show it to him that, hey, you're our guy, we're going to back you on the market for that reason. But I think as things stand, if we're going to have another run-of-the-mill market where we're going to nickel and dime and we're not going to get the top players in there and address what we need to address. I don't think Pioli can take this squad much further. And Mm -hmm. from an emotional standpoint and a a physical standpoint, I think this season has absolutely drained him to the point where this next season is going to truly tell us what type of of project they they wish to to build under Pioli going forward. So I'm I'm kind of on the fence. I still have to wait till how the season plays out. Um, And again, Frank, I think you and I would agree on this, you know, and you made a great point in our in our friendly conversation a couple months ago. All right, fine. If Pioli's out, who's in? Right? Who's your Who's your guy that you're bringing in? Yeah. And I see people saying, again, I don't know how serious they are because there's a lot of trolls. Luis Enrique, you're not getting him. Antonio Conte, he's going to want a, a ton of assurances up front of the market. You're not getting him. And frankly, his projects tend to flame out anyway. This is, I don't think, the project for Conte. Yeah. The Cherubi, you're not getting. I think he's doing great things. He's at the very least going to play a season with Brighton in, in, in the Europa League and see what he can do with that project. And then he might move on to someone else. So I think your options are limited in that sense. Yeah. That, yes, if you're going to fire Pioli, I can, I can be okay with that feeling, but I need you to give me a name. And people yeah. say this all the time when it comes to the market too. We need to get a top striker. Give me a realistic name. They can never give me a realistic name because we're not spending $60 million on a striker. We're not doing exactly. that. So, I'm I'm Pioli in. I, I have been all this time, and I just yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waver from that. Um, I'll, I'll start with the point that you said because I, I I say it to everybody who comes at me and says Pioli out. I said, all right, well then who you, who who are you gonna get? Be realistic too. Um, Italiano would be a great replacement. He's gonna be hard to get. You're gonna have to get him out of whatever deal he's at at Fiorentina, and Comiso is not gonna be friendly about it. Um, you know, did Sarah be the more success he has at Brighton, the harder he is going to get. Um, so 
I, I, I guess I agree with how Maldini has approached in some, some of his comments. See, this is a project. There's a, there's a long-term vision here that you don't want to, you know, and I, I understood the reason for not wanting to get, wanting to sign Dybala and signing Dybala to the money that he would have commanded or, uh, you know, whatever he got at Roma. Um, Dybala gets hurt all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you know you're going to pay him to be that guy and out of 38 Serie A games, he might play 25 of them, um, you know, for what, you know, for one reason or another, but mainly for injuries. He couldn't, he, he always ran into injuries at Juventus and was out for periods of time. Um, and you wondered as he's kind of getting on in his career, if, if that's something that was just going to continue to be a habit. And I still think he, he didn't miss as many games for Roma this season. And I think that it, that's a, maybe a tribute to Roma's coaching staff. If they did something with his fitness or did something with his physical conditioning, you know, to have them better equipped, then that's, that's fine. Um, you know, but this has all along been a project. Um, you know, I, I just, and it's a project that you can argue is ahead of schedule. When you get to the Champions League semifinal this year, when you win the Scudetto last year, you're ahead of schedule. These are things are things that they probably weren't anticipating so quickly. Um, yeah. And I think that Milan fans have gone from banter era and we've gone through years of suffering to now all of a sudden seeing some pretty rapid success. And, Milan fans in general are just starving for more, Um, you know, and when they don't get it, they're upset and they're looking to point the fingers at somebody and they're most will just point it at Pioli. I would point it at the folks that are making the decisions on the reinforcements and on the recruitment that, and on the recruits that they brought in for this season, because none of them have, except for Chow, uh, you can argue none of them have really made an impact. Um, and we didn't see know. Chow really legitimately until, what, that Tottenham game? Right. And by force, because we don't have really much depth in central defense or let alone on our bench to begin with. So, yeah, like, you know, I think you could really make a point that, like, the only market hit and, you know, we still have to wait and see how, with Malik Chow because we didn't really get a full body of work in his first season here, has been Malik Chow. Mm-hmm. I so I don't close the book on young players as as quickly as as others do, you know. And, and as far as CDK is concerned, you know, I'm still willing to give him a little bit more of a leash because you know, for every Quadratalia, there's at least 25 guys like CDK that come into Serie A and just struggle for the first year. Whether it's adapting to the country, the culture, the team, the tactics. You know, what opponents throw at you, um, a combination of all of them, it probably could have been too. Um, you know, I remember Leal wasn't particularly consistent when he came over to Milan early. And even when Tonali transferred from Brescia to Milan, he had his struggles. So it's not young players don't instantly get successful uh, playing for Serie A teams. So I'm willing to give him a little more time that said from what i've seen i'm not particularly impressed and he's really really soft for what this game demands at this in this league at this level i think too Um, the one thing that people have always tend to you know fall back to is yes leao had grown pains his first full season and same thing with sandro tonali but in glimpses we saw what they were capable of sure the project was at a different time at that point right like we weren't a team that was ready for the Champions League. We had some good key pieces in there. We brought some pretty pretty substantial... And that's an excellent point. There weren't expectations when Leao came and when Tonali came. There's expectations when CDK came. 
Right. So less pressure. You know, we brought in Teo Hernandez and people forget that Ricardo Rodriguez was kind of our starting fullback under Marco mm-hmm. Giampaolo. We backed Marco and Giampaolo pretty well, all things considered, right? Benacer, Teo Hernandez, Rafael Leal. Like, you're talking almost, what, 60, 65 to 70 million in, in yeah. transfer fees, give or take. Marco Giampaolo got backed to that extent, yeah. right? And look at the, how those players have, have worked out. But getting back to the, you know, the whole CDK situation, because it's obviously a major talking point, um, you know, I'm, 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 believe, I'm in the same camp as you when it comes to giving, giving more time. I think that what Milan struggled to do, though, is because they really were only essentially a one-and-a-half trick pony. Um, they had Rafael Leao, the, 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 the Serie A MVP, and an aging but still effective Olivier Giroud. Mm-hmm. You didn't really set up the attack to help help spread the wealth and help alleviate that pressure. When you bring in a 32 to 35 million player like a CDK with all this buzz, and he's your summer splash, and he doesn't he doesn't catch fire, he doesn't get goals. They're always going to look to him. So the fact that we didn't address the right wing situation, we didn't get much production from the number 10. That's where everyone's kind of going back towards CDK. So I, I think I'm I'm in the same camp as you as far as giving him more time but I think it's absolutely crucial that Milan find a way in the summer to reinforce the attack to the point where they can say hey you know we can have guys up front that can carry that 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 workload and you know it doesn't all fall on CDK when he comes in he has to score a goal he has to do something he could go out there and play but the one thing that's interesting about CDK is he's too timid he's very passive with the way he plays and I don't think he was like that at Club Rouge. I know it's a different animal, AC Milan, Club Rouge. I understand that. But he was a, he played a pretty prominent role in those teams, right? And people said CDK is the guy that we want from this team. No yeah. Lang, we don't want we don't want Noah Lang. You know what? Say what you want, but sometimes you need a Noah Lang figure, like we have Teo Hernandez in our team, right? That has that sort of like grinta, but he has that sort of uh, chip on his shoulder. Chip on his shoulder, but he yeah. can play a little aggressive, and he knows he's not afraid. He's he's confident, but he has a cockiness to him. Sometimes you need that out of a player like 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 a CDK. Yeah. Like you want to see the CDK get on the ball and push, try to push the ball forward. And if he fails, he fails. But at least make that sort of that confident move forward. Yeah. That you're trying to do something. He's too passive. He gets the ball and he tries to get rid of it because he's afraid to make a mistake or lose the ball. So yeah. that's what we need to help you'll turn off from him and get him into positions where, you know what, turn up field. You have the supporting players around you. Let's work with them. Let's help build him up and see what he could do in season two. But they do need to get more attacking players that can help spread the wealth around because Frank, we've seen this with other clubs. They're able to get goals from different players. Yeah. Milan has Rafael Leal, Giroud, and then who else? Who else is putting, who else can you look to say, Hey, you know what? This guy can get us a goal when we absolutely need it. They I could argue I, I could argue that the presence of CDK in the team motivated Brian Diaz. Because we yeah, saw some we saw some good games from Brian Diaz this season. Because you brought um, him in and it, it almost became like a personal battle for those minutes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So um, you know, there's there, there's some names being floated around immediately about Milan. Okay, Ruben Loftus cheek is is somebody that's being floated around that that he could come over. I, you know, I, I I like the signing. I know people are being like, "Well, why are we why are we digging into Chelsea's scraps?" Because Chelsea has a shitload of players right now, um, and they got to sell. Because yeah, and they got to got to scale down their size. Their yeah, and 
and, and for for me, Loftus Cheek is a is a very low risk, high upside with a multitude of roles that he can play in the midfield. Daichi Kamada, I think, would be a really nice get. Uh, Richard can Richard can probably speak to Kamada as somebody that he 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 catches a lot of Bundesliga with his his support for Schalke. Um, but Kamada uh, is another talent that possibly could come in here. I, some Milan fans might be gun shy about that and might be having nightmares about Keisuke Honda. Um, but uh, I think Comet is a little bit different of a player than Honda. Um, you know, a little bit more dynamic coming through the midfield. So there's a couple of guys that people were talking about. I mean, back in March, there was talk about Adama Traore, uh, you know, coming over for free because I think he's at the end of his contract at Wolves. And I don't know what's going on with that anymore. But an intriguing guy that you could have put on the right that, you know, would have been basically Salamakers on steroids and, and actually can can finish and maybe create a little bit. I mean, a a faster Salamakers is probably the best way. A more physical Salamakers is probably yeah. the best way I would describe Adama Traore and his game. Um, but, you know, so there's some names being floated around here. But I think that, you know, if Pioli is going to last any longer, it's gonna it it it's gonna be. I think that he's kind of at the mercy of Maldini and Co. Yeah. being able to bring in the reinforcements that gives him a team to be successful. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I think you know. Look, it's 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 a chain effect, chain reaction, right? Because I think okay, we can blame Pioli, but Pioli can say Pioli backers can say, well, he really wasn't backed. He got a forty-five to fifty million budget just after winning a title, right? And then people can say, well, Maldini, Mazzara, they failed on the market. They're like, yeah, but they don't sanction the budget. So now we go up the ladder. Now we go up to Jerry Cardinal and we go to new ownership. And they could say, well, we didn't have complete ownership at that time. The club was still in transition, right? So that's where I think if we did get Europa League or we do get Europa League, Jerry Cardinal, they has, he has almost like an, like an out to not spend. Because he can say, well, we got Europa League, you know, we, we don't get the funds from Champions League, and, we, you know, we have to assess things. But yep. if you get top four, then you have the, the, the Champions League money. Then you have the ridiculous amount of wages we're shedding with Ibrahimovic, all the lone guys. I'm not going to name the seven to ten guys that we have coming off the books. Multiple reports, I think it was Gazetta put out something that pretty much said that Milan can save around – 23 to 25 million in wages alone that can help with their transfer budget. So Milan could be looking at a potential transfer budget of 75 to 100 yep. by that account. Now we're talking. Yep. I don't think anyone's anyone in their right mind is asking for Milan to spend like Chelsea did. No. Are they asking for Milan to get five to six players to a couple of them being of premium quality, a couple of them being of maybe work in progress players, you know, someone that you can bring in, hey, you know, I mean, he might not be the finished product, but he's someone for the future, like we do at Malik Chow. I think Milan fans could get on board with that. But sure. if you give me the a true Frank Kessie replacement, if mm-hmm. you give me a winger, a legitimate winger that and no disrespect, I think Alexis Salamakers has actually come on pretty good in the second half of this season. I think I've seen a lot from him that leads me to believe he can grow as a player and he has, and that's a pretty good investment given the fact that he's only cost us, what, $3 million, $3.5 million. Great work rate. Pioli loves him. There's a reason why he gets a lot of these minutes is because Pioli believes in him and he likes him in his system. But you need to get more production from that winger role. So that's the, third, the second one. 
And then you definitely do need to get a, 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 a prolific goal scorer. doesn't have to be an Erling Haaland, but you need someone that can give you 15 goals in the league. When's the last time Milan had a striker that scored 15 goals? I think it was Carlos Baca. Let me ask you oh. this. Let me ask you this, because this is a name that I floated on this podcast multiple times. If Spezia yeah. go down, would you would you take a stab at trying to bring Mbala Inzola to this team? No. And 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 I mean he's he's productive on a he's productive and he has double digit goals on a very bad team with no creativity and no playmaking. I, I get that. I think the one thing that I would <laughs> It's weird because I look at some of the players that have scored. You know, I look at who Milan has as their top scorers. And Rafael Leia has had a great season. And he's the only guy that you really can look to in most games as the sole chance creator and sole spark. Um, because if Olivier Drew ain't getting service, it's really difficult for him to do much what he needs to do and score goals. But there's so many guys on different teams where I look on like these, like Salernitan, I have, what is it, Boule Dia, who has, I think, 15 or 16 goals. I like him too Zola. as an option. Zola, who has, what, I think, 13 goals. Yep. Beto on Udinese has double-digit goals. Like, there's guys out there that you can get. I understand that. But I think from a confidence standpoint, I think Milan fans might look to him and say, yeah, but it's one thing to score goals for Aspetia. It's another to be, hey, you're going to be the starting striker for AC Milan. Go give us 15 goals. I think Milan needs something different. I'm not saying they need to go and get a player who's 30 years old and – you know, has the sort of pedigree of like a Roberto Firmino. I don't think he's that type of player. Um, he wasn't that really that type of player at Liverpool, maybe for moments. But I don't have the name. But I do feel that if Milan, if Milan wants to win over the fans and wants to convince them that they really are serious and legitimate with how they're going to budget and spend for this team and for this project, they need to get someone up front to help support Olivier Drill. And even some of the guys that they have coming back off, off loan, Lorenzo Colombo is probably going to get his buy option picked up by Lecce. I think Milan has the redemption on that so they can bring him back. And then you have Lazatic. Rebic is gone. So you're essentially looking at Giroud. I, I like Lazatic. The only thing so is I, I think he, he might be a year away. But if you're not going to bring him in to be a third choice and then he's not going to play, it's, it does nothing for his career. Right. I'd, rather, I'd rather a player like that bring him back and loan him to a mid-table to low-table Serie A team like we did with Pobeda, where we loaned him to Torino, we loaned him to Spezia. He got Serie A reps, and at the very least, he's going to adapt to the league that Milan are playing in. Yeah. But that situation is is interesting. He's a year away, and let him have that year with a mid-table team. Yeah. So um, let him go and and let him go and see if he can even get you 12 goals with with a team like that. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see the people in the chat talking about with a 75 to 100 million budget is Diaz worth 20. I fully expect Maldini to go to Real Madrid and talk that number down. Um, probably in the 14 to 15 range. If they if, if Maldini pulls that off, I'm fine with that. Uh, 20, I think, is too steep for Brian. Um, but uh, but yeah, but you know, Vito from um, Milan reports, uh, he actually said that like it seems as though that Milan are gonna, gonna activate that buy option. Hmm. That they're, they're going to at least try to get they're gonna, they're making a really concerted effort to get that done. Which, again, I know people are in the camp of we, we don't want to keep Raheem, but I think everything is it's everything's driven on price, right? Yeah. Right, Frank. Like if 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 you're saying Raheem's going to cost upwards of twenty million, then I'd say no. Yeah. But the figure that you just threw out, if we could get Raheem off his statistically his best career, his, his best uh, statistical season at AC Milan, 
um, for 12 to 15 million on pretty low wages on top of the fact that we had him for virtually nothing for three seasons. Right. I'm fine with that. Right. I'm fine with that. Right. And then you get right. somebody else in the wing position and you get someone in the striker position um, to help, you know, bolster the attack. But, you know, you don't want to go through the position of let's get players out of the squad and you have to bring in more new players because it's difficult to adapt in this league. And the fact just, that we've seen Pretty Brahim come on strong in certain games, I, I wouldn't be opposed to keeping him. And if there's something that we can give Maldini credit for is that he does have a ability to go to these other clubs and talk them down on their number. Um, yeah. You know, he's done it in the past. I, I, I anticipate that he's going to do that with Diaz and with Real Madrid. So, yeah. <clears throat> so we'll see. Um, moving on to some of the other clubs. I mean, just looking at the, the landscape of things right now, Napoli are champions. Um, you know, you could say they have the perfect team and could be in the frame for repeating again, but all seamen could be out, um, you know, depending on what Napoli could get for them. Um, you know, they've got, you know, Quadratelli was a revelation. They've got a lot of talented players. Yeah. You know, we'll see what they do about keeping them. I mean, and then there's also the big question about Spalletti. There's all sorts of rumors that he said, Hey, I've got my Scudetto. I'm ready to go back to Tuscany and make more wine. So, um, you've got Inter, who's now in the Champions League final. You've got Lazio, who's now qualified for the Champions League. When you, Give me some examples of some teams. To me, the obvious and glaring one for me is I think Lazio need to upgrade fullbacks. Okay, they've got good – they've got fullbacks that can defend a little bit, but they don't have anybody that – you know, Lazzotti is is fine, you know, from time to time. He I think a couple of years ago, you know, he was – a couple of years ago to me he was much better, but I think that he's – I don't I want to say regressed, but he's not really a fullback to me. He's more of a wing back with three defenders behind him. He, he fits that role a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, lot, the, the obvious example is Lazio can upgrade the fullback position um, and, and might have to do a midfield depending on whether or not Milinkovic Savage is out the door again as that gets, you know, as that gets steam over the summer. Um, but, you know, give me some things that you look when you, when you look at some of the teams in City, uh, you know, what positions can you see? Upgrades really helping them. Um, well, for for one, I think you know Lazio do need to start making um, preparations for um, you know a, a Chiro Mobile backup, someone who yep. can take shoulder some of that that workload. Because I think you know this is the one year where he's he's looked human, right? He's yeah. had three great years, but you can see like the injuries, um, the, the the mounting pressure, the Games he's haven't been run out there to score goals as the sole, like the main goal scorer. Um, and I'm not saying he's not good and he's not worthy of, of of leading their front line, but I think you know Lazio need to really ensure that they they don't have him burn out, um, and they need to go and get their a, a a dependable second striker that can come in there play against those uh, provincial sides um, because they're a Champions League team now, right? Like Lazio are a team that okay, they have to have that conversation with themselves, like. Back in the Champions League, it wasn't easy, but now how do we make En-Roads to, to be a team that has staying power, that can do this year in and year out? And, you know, you talked about it, right? Malinkovic Savage, if he does leave, that's a huge piece to replace. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a very interesting summer for Lazio. I will say this, though. Um, credit to Maurizio Sarri, year two. I mean, people looked at this and said, you know, after, after flaming out at Juventus and Really not sure what Maurizio Sarri was going to do. Can he be someone that can, you know, get get a project back on track? Will someone give him the opportunity and, and more importantly, the time to build the yeah. project in his image? 
year two, Lazio, this is a prime example of, I think, what Juventus should have done with Maurizio Sarri. Um, I know that maybe Maurizio Sarri isn't the type of buttoned-up suit type of guy for Juventus that they typically look for, like they have with Max Allegri and Pirlo and some of the other coaches, but he's a great tactician. Lazio played really well this year. They, I think they have, what, 20 clean sheets? I think that was a stat put out by Opta. That's impressive. Yeah. For them getting Casale from Verona, which Verona doing what they did now, they're battling relegation. That's on them. They kind of screwed themselves, but that's another conversation. Um, and Alessio Romagnoli on a free completely revamped their defense, and they got Provadel in goal, who's been one of the signings of the summer. If you look at you know his actual cost to his, some of his performances, so there's a really some really good pieces there. But I think a lot's going to dictate their market based on what happens with Milikovic Savage. So that's one club, um, and I also think Roma is another. I think that Roma needs to really shore up that defense. Um, there's yeah. players back there I don't mind. I think Ibanez can do some things, but. Frank, like they got Kambula for a pretty substantial fee a couple of seasons ago. He's done nothing. Yeah, he's no, he hasn't. Picture that was like yeah. a complete flop. And they need a goalie, right? They need to get Patricio out there. They need to get someone more dependable. And it seems as though every every summer, Roma's going after a goalkeeper. They need serious goalkeeper improvement. They had Robin Olsen a couple of years ago. Patricio, like they need. We we all know as Milan fans how important a goalkeeper can be to your objective. They need to go out there and get a, a pretty, pretty strong goalkeeper. So those would be some of the uh, you know the the, the teams that um, need to bolster in certain areas. And of course, you can look to really everybody, right? Like you can look to, um, you know, you can look to Inter in certain things. They got to replace Milan Skriniar. Um, you know what's going to happen? With, you know, probably Jacko's going to stay, but he's obviously getting older. So you have to you know, look at a lot of these clubs and think maybe they're they have have needs, but their needs aren't as dire as some of the other clubs that are maybe on the fringe outside looking in um, at top four or even the Europa League. Yep. Found it amusing that it took Lazio to see just how bad Maximiano was as a goalkeeper to realize what they had yeah. with Providel. Um, that was one of those kind of, oh, well, we got this guy. Let's put him in. And he ended up being better than the guy. Because I think they spent more money on Maximiano uh, and they they had they fully intended on having me their goalkeeper. So fortunately, they had Probadell as the backup, and that that worked out for them. Um, on the Roma side, uh, you know, to your point, um, yeah, I, I, some some cover at the defensive position. I mean, if it almost feels like Mancini, Smalling, and Banyas just got run into the ground this season, um, you know, because it was pretty much consistently that was it for the back three, um, you know, so. Although Mourinho plays a tactical style where those defenders aren't doing a whole lot of running and chasing, uh, you know, over the you know in, game in and game out over the course of the over the course of the season, so um, you probably could have afforded for the, at least for this season to just play with those three guys. And then yeah, Kambula has been uh, a, a huge disappointment. But do they need to reinforce at the defender position? Uh, would not hurt to see them uh, getting a little more midfield help, and then maybe one more playmaking midfielder. Um, you know, whenever they can't depend on a Pellegrini or can't depend on a Dybala. Um, I like know, Bobe to... and I like Zalewski, though. I think Zalewski, I think Zalewski, his future bodes well more so. I like Zalewski, too. Goal. I think, he, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's got a really bright future going forward and more as like a winger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, however, Mourinho likes to use him as one thing, but Bove and, and Zalewski are two um, good pieces for Roma that, you know, that had some real good burn this year, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's going to be interesting, you know, right? Because I think Napoli, if 
they lose one of their core pieces, like, are they vulnerable to being overthrown? And I think it's yeah. possible. We've seen the nature of the league in the past, what, four years, right? It was Juventus, it was Inter, it was Milan, it was Napoli. Next year, we might get someone different. And I don't think it would really surprise anybody, to be quite honest with you. Yep. If they go Inter, uh, you know, do they, you know, Jekko's getting older. Do they go back to the table with Chelsea about Lukaku? Um, midfield, they could probably use some help. I don't know. Aslani has got to be better than this. I mean, he was good for Empoli. I, I find it, I find it hard that he's this poor for Inter that he can't even get on the pitch. So we'll see what they do about him. Um, you know, Brozovic now is a substitute because they go Mkhitaryan, Chalhanolu, Barella, uh, which probably suits Brozovic at this stage of his career. Uh, he's getting a little older. I'll argue he can still start games, but I think that Inter could probably add some depth to their midfield because Bobby Gags just can't do it, uh, in my opinion. I mean, you just saw him on Sunday. That was just brutal, um, you know, in his performance. I think somebody said that he had more he had he had more cards than completed passes on Sunday. I mean, I, do you know how bad you have to be to pull that off? <laughs> so, yeah. So there's. I, I think that Inter is going to be in the hunt for bolstering their midfield more than anything. They've got good depth on the wing back positions, and yes, a defender is. is what about going to be needed. Um, what about Atalanta? What are your thoughts on Atalanta? We can sit here and theorize what Atalanta need and what they can get, and they'll just completely go in a different direction, and they're going to grab three dudes we've never heard of. I mean, did did they you hear of Hoyland? They spent like a good sum on Hoyland too. Like I think people think that. But did you know about Atalanta. Hoyland before this? I didn't. No, I'm not going to sit here and go on your show and say, I knew who Hoyland was. I watched his Norwegian games or something, like streaming in the middle of the night. No. Um, I think it's a testament to their scouting. I think it's a testament to their their trust in what their identity is, right? Like, it's yeah. that man up. Like, all right, we lose. Duvon Zapata gets old. Luis Muriel gets old. Papu Gomez. They chose the coach over Papu Gomez. They sold Malinovsky and... They get just get guys in there that that mm-hmm. produce, and they always find themselves in that conversation for top four. But really, you never know, right? Because I think ultimately, the Hoyland for every Hoyland, there's maybe right. You mentioned CDK, like for every Hoyland or CDK, you know, or or Kavara, there's a CDK, there's some other flops, right? So yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of a numbers game for some of these uh, some of these yeah. clubs, right? You buy low and you hope that a couple of them stick, and then you sell the other ones and you try to recoup what you can. You had an interesting thread about Monza here earlier tonight, and I think that it speaks to maybe a little bit bigger conversation about the middle of the road teams in Serie A. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of one of the things that we, you and I were talking about, what I was suggesting pre-show, is I think that there's just a little bit of parity creeping in in this league. Mm-hmm. You know, we we got our traditional top seven that are that are up there that are all you know that are all getting there, but when you take a look at the course of this season. Um, what, what Monza did, I mean, take away those first, what, six or seven games they're, they're, they're basically Europe qualifying form, uh, the rest of the way. Fiorentina, clearly their ambition was conference league. Um, you know, cause the, the, the squad was, the squad was deep enough. And I think there were, there was a lot of new players coming in and Italiano trying to figure out what his best mix was uh, because, I mean, they were languishing in 14th, 15th for a while before they finally are now in ninth. You know, Bologna under Tiago Moto this season, probably playing up to their ability. We thought that, you know, 
Mihalovic, rest in peace. Bologna was just grossly underachieving under him in his final seasons. Um, Torino, Udinese, Sassuolo, and then even Empoli. I mean, not just what they accomplished against Juventus on Monday, but they've 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 claimed a couple scalps this season. And even Spezia, the Milan fans want to moan about that loss at Spezia. Let's also remember Inter lost there too. Um, the the mid-table to relegation fighters aren't the sure three points that we all assume that they should be with these with if, if we're if we're a supporter of one of these top clubs. And I think that that might even be a tribute to what those clubs have done in terms of assembling their squads. And in the case of Monza, recognizing the, the, the quality of Palladino as a coach and moving on from from Stropa and and and, and shrewd moves that they're making to you know, maybe they're not going to all of a sudden grab one of these European places, but they're going to continue to give the traditional powers of this league problems. And there's, there's, there's a, there's a draw to this project, right? Because I think, you know, you look at who's involved in it. You know, you know, we, we oftentimes see these teams that are newly promoted. What do they do? They get booted right back down. They have no set. They have no staying power. They're just trying to stay afloat, keep their head above water and just maybe get another season in Serie A, right? They don't spend, they, they kind of are just happy to finish like the, the like the Kivu Kivu Verona's for all those years, right? To finish 16th, hey, we got another season in Serie A, we'll take it. There's no ambition to to challenge and to move up the table and to to build a, a sustainable project that can compete at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And Berlusconi, Galliani, look what they're building with this team. I mean, I know they maybe spent money in places that they probably shouldn't have. I think Patania probably cost a little bit too much for them. I don't think he's the right player for a team like Monza. Um, no. I just don't like him as a striker. I think in maybe in a certain spot he fits, but he's not a goal scorer and they spent a pretty decent amount to get him. But some of the other moves they made was Pessina, who um, with, with them securing um, their stay in, in Serie A, um, that option becomes permanent from Atalanta and Milan actually get a portion of that, which is good for us, which we can use everything we have coming our way, right? Um, but some of the other shrewd moves they made was, you know, Stefano Sensi, who, who was a talented player. He made a move from Sassuolo to Inter, got injured, got kind of phased out because of the players they had in that midfield area. Um, and he's, he's got great quality if he could stay healthy. Caprari is a goal scorer that, you know, has proven he could get into double digits. And perhaps the one player that I think, um, or the two players that I think have really stood out the most for Monza this season are... Um, Carlos Augusto in central defense, yes. um, who's played as a central defender. He's played as a fullback. He's played a little bit in the midfield based on what Paladino needs from them. But Rovella. Yep. Rovella is the perfect player on loan from Juventus who Juventus should bring back and make him a part of their midfield. He's The way he reads the game, the way he distributes the ball, the way things run through Rovella, he is a, he's a very quality young Italian international and I think if Monza could find a way to keep him in some sort of capacity and work out a deal, whether it be something similar to what Bologna did with Orsolini, where, you know, after one year, two years, they have options and they can bring him back. I think Brovella is 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 a, the player that's destined for a big move in the next year or two, um, if not this summer, because I think he's been real quality for Monza and have been largely to credit for why that midfield, I think, has looked so tidy and they've been able to be uh, a pretty consistent a pretty consistent squad. Um, and one last thing, too. I, I tweeted about this, Frank. They're doing... So they have, I believe, 46 goals scored, 46 goals allowed. 52 points, 8th place. They're doing it all without a goal score above 6 goals. Yeah. That's astonishing. 
That's astonishing. And one of them is a ghost who's a predominantly a defender. And then yeah. Kuria, who's I think a midfielder. Yeah, I think Churi is a right wing Churia, back. Yeah, yep. Yep. I yeah, it's 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 pretty special. I'm going to answer. Uh, you've got a couple questions as it pertains to Monza, and, you know, in particular. Michael's asking a Monza question: How much longer is Paladino there before someone larger comes calling Milan someday? Question mark. Um, I'm of the opinion. I'm very impressed with the performance of Paladino here this season with Monza, but I I need to see. I'm one of those that's a believe that's a believer that I think you need to sustain a success yeah. in a longer stretch. You know. We, we've seen times where coaches do really well, you know, in ha- with half a season, three fourths of a season, what have you. Um, and then they go to a bigger club and it's overwhelming for them. And then you just find out they're nothing more than a flash in the pan. I would like him to stay put at Monza for at least another year and let him continue to apply his trade. Let him prove that what he's accomplished this season is not a fluke and that Monza have bigger ambitions. Uh, and then at that point, you, you look at it. And I think a lot of the clubs are probably looking at it that way. Because I'll tell you what, these these technical directors, they're not stupid. They have short lists of managers that they probably have, you know, written in case something falls apart with the manager that they have. And Paladino's probably on that list, but they also want to, you know, see if this is something that he can stain for, sustain for a longer period of time. At least that's my answer to your question, Michael. I think Paladino, too, um, there was a report from Nicolas Kira who, who said that they're ready to offer him an extension until 2025. Yeah. potential option for 2026. Um, and, yeah. and, and as I mentioned, you know, given the ambition and the drive with the project, I mean, if you're a Paladino, like, you can build, some, you can build something special at Monza. I mean, who's to say they can't, with more investment, you'll get cracked into a conference league spot next year. And all of a sudden, hey, like, in two years – we go from first ever season in Serie A to the conference league to playing European football. Like, I think Paladino has an opportunity here that, you know, um, someone like Roberto De Cherby had at Sassuolo where yes, the results may be rocky at times, but they played a very appealing, attractive style of football that if you give it some time to develop and take shape, it could be something special. So I would like to see selfishly, I would like to see Paladino stay at Monza I'm yeah, not from like, a, like even like a Grand Potter. Like sometimes it's not always greener on the other side. Like the grass isn't always yep. greener on the other side. He made the move to Chelsea. Everyone thought, okay, Grand Potter, what he's doing at Brighton, he's going to be perfect. And he got sacked, and the, the Cherby's still coasting with the same team that he was coaching. So yep. I think Paladino should stay and, and and build something there. I agree there. Um, and then Richard had a question. Um, private chat here. Let's go with Richard's asking. At what point do Monza become a viable CL contender? Will it happen? Man, I, I just think on history, you really have a hard time accepting that something like that's going to happen. But then again, Atala- we didn't. We never thought Atalanta would be in the Champions League, let alone get all the way to the last eight. Um, so I guess you never say never, but I, it's it's hard to envision that. Um, but at the, at the same time, I didn't see eighth here. I, I think the path that they took this season we kind of, here here at City of Sit Down, we kind of called out. We thought, okay, this is going to be a struggle for the first handful of weeks because of all of the players they brought in. But as the season goes on, they're going to figure it out. They're going to win some games. They're going to be they're going to make some teams unhappy. Um, and I think I my preseason probably pegged them for twelfth or thirteenth or something like that as a result. So eighth is beyond my imagination. Yeah. Um, you know what they've accomplished is special. What Palladino has accomplished is special. I mean, is this this has to be the the best finish for a newly promoted Serie A team, right? Like, 
I when's the last time a team that just got promoted to Serie A finished above tenth? And not counting Juve after Calciopoli, I I can't I can't think of it. I mean, they're maybe Napoli was Napoli conference league spot. They can't get it, but like, how many points are they off conference league spot? Yeah, Napoli might might have been there. Might have been might have been Fiorentina when they came back. I don't know if they came back up with Battistuta or what or what happened there, or they or did they go down? I gotta I gotta go back and look. You know, sometimes my memory escapes me. Um, but Fiorentina were relegated, and then they came back up. And I want to know. I, I want to say that they got Battistuta at that time. I'll have to look at it. I don't want to talk out of turn here. Um, <laughs> but um, but I know that Fiorentina went from promoted to making a pretty big jump at some point in the '90s. So um, you know, that's th- those are the ones that I can recollect. And then Juve post Calciopoli, uh, which. Yeah. I don't think you can really count. So no, because they still had a pretty strong team. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, but you look at any, and you look at some of these other teams. Bologna, um, you know, uh, Ricardo Orsolini. I pro- this is probably Ricardo Orsolini's best season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at any team, Juve or or uh, Bologna here in Serie A, and then uh, with what. Uh, with what uh, Tiago Mota has done with this team, Stefan Posh is probably going to be in our team of the season at right back um, with the goals he scored, with the assists he's contributed. I mean, right back has not been a relatively strong position in this league and, and Posh has been as good as anybody. Um, you know, you're looking at some of those guys, just look at all, look at any of the Empoli players that you watched in Monday's game. They're all guys that can find work with better teams. Uh, yeah. You know, as they keep developing, I'm a big fan of Tommaso Baldanzi and hope that he gets he 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 continues to progress and catches on with a better team at some point. Uh, Bondinelli, um, uh, gosh, who are some of these other guys? Parisi's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know they've got a they've got a really good thing going and they've got a nice 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 nucleus of young players there. So, the, the, you know, I don't want to say it's parody that any of these teams are going to jump up and, and snatch us a, a top seven spot next season, but they're going to continue to be a thorn in the top seven team sides. And the fan bases of the seven sisters really need to just stop assuming they're going to get three points off of these teams because yeah. it's not that easy anymore. I think this league continues to get more and more competitive. I mean, the bigger teams are still going to have a little bit more of the money. And I think these mid tier teams that, make it through are getting better in terms of how they structure their squads to deal with the week in and week out. So um, let's, uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to whip through this, Matt. I know we're getting, we're starting to run, run long on time here, but we've got three Serie A teams now uh, in, we got a Serie A team in each final, mm-hmm. which, you know, okay. We put you know, back when there was two finals. I have to go back to cup when the cup winners cup days to see if we had a Serie A team. Uh, in each, I think there was a year where we had Milan in the Champions Cup, Parma in the Cup Winners Cup, and Juve in the UEFA Cup back mm-hmm. in the day. I I I think that happened in the in '93 or '94. Um, but uh, I, anyway, it's it's a special accomplishment. It's a great advert for the league. Um, how do you size up the chances for each of these teams in their finals? Um, well, let's start with let's start with Inter, right, in the Champions League final versus Manchester City, who, by all accounts, are the best team in world football right now on form, quality-wise, yep. top to bottom, the coach, everything. They're riding high. They just won the league title. 
They're trying to do something historic this year. All their cup competitions, they're in contention to win those. So um, in a one-off game, though, the way Inter are playing, at least in the Champions League, and Simone Inzaghi's uh, you know, cup magic, I can't completely rule out Inter pulling off a shocking upset. I'm not saying Neither I can I. it's going to happen, but I think over 90 minutes, you know, what did, again, different teams. So before anyone starts to clip this and put it on Twitter, um, Jose Mourinho, what he did against Barcelona, right? Like in, in yeah. that final where it's like, you play 90 minutes, you, you're, you're, you're defending, you can stick to your identity, you stick to your strengths. You have a Lukaku or Lautaro Martinez that gets a goal or two and rides rides really great momentum. You can find yourself winning a Champions League final. And I don't think it's really beyond the realm of possibility that Inter do that. So I, I think their chances are still pretty good. I mean, we'll have to wait and see how they're able to navigate the league results and ultimately what their um, position looks like in the league. It seems to be pretty secure with Juventus getting the point deduction and everyone sort of shaping up in that top four conversation. Um, so I think Inter have a good shot. But I think the team that um, is the most interesting in this whole thing is Roma because Roma can go back-to-back European trophies. And the people yeah. might say it's not... Champions League, okay, but if you would you sign on for in in Jose Marino's two seasons, you got two trophies, you would absolutely in, Conference League in a heartbeat. Feyenoord last year, um, mm-hmm. and now they have to beat Sevilla, who is is the quintessential Europa League dominant team. Like this is their competition, so it's not going to be easy. But I think so. It's very fascinating that you know. Um, Jose Mourinho and I think when well, Jose Mourinho's undefeated in uh, like finals, right? Cup finals, yep. Yeah, cup finals, right? So he knows what to do. He knows how to navigate. So that's going to be very interesting. And I think that all these Ita- these these three Italian teams have real legitimate like real legitimate chances to to clean sweep and to go three for three here. I'm yeah. not saying that Inter are going to do it. I'm not saying Roma are going to do it. I'm not even going to say Fiorentina do it. But if you're overlooking them in any of these conversations, I think it's pretty silly because I think you know these 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 clubs and Italian clubs tend to be overlooked historically um, by leagues on the outside. I think the game scripts suit all three teams. Um, I'll start with the Champions League final. Inter are not going to have the ball. They're much happier not having the ball. And I made the argument and I said that Inzaghi's two strikers set up gives Milan a lot of trouble uh, because the two center backs, because Pioli puts them out in the 4-4-2 and the two center backs are left man marking the strikers. What happened? Mkhitaryan slips behind the midfield and scores uh, the, the second goal in the first leg. Um, you know, can Rodri track those runners when the center, you know, if, if Pep comes out with a, with a back four, I think that Inzaghi's going to be happy to see that. Um, because he knows the center backs are going to be marking, you know, whether it's Jekyll and Lataro. I hope it's Lukaku and Lataro. I think the physicality of Lukaku makes a lot more sense here. Um, but, uh, you know, Mkhitaryan with, you know, the runs that he can make, and then Chalinolu with the ability to find passes from the Those midfield. And, the, and then the wingbacks, exactly. The, the script sets up beautifully for Inter to pull off a shock. Um, you know, they can, they can lull Man City to sleep. They can bring them forward. Man City's not the most airtight defensive team, um, especially in counterattacking situations. And, and Aderson might be having a better season than he's had in years past, but he's still beatable. Um, 
I look at the Roma Sevilla game and it's a Sevilla team that, yeah, they've made their living on this competition. But again, it's a Sevilla team that likes to have the ball and Roma's perfectly happy not having it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and, and Mourinho will set his team up that way. Uh, and then they'll hit on the break. And you tell me, you know, can the center backs at Sevilla, if, if, if Abraham's fit for this game, can the center backs for Sevilla cope with them? Um, you know, how do they deal with uh, Pellegrini coming through, uh, doing the playmaking in midfield? If it's Mo, if it's Dybala, if it's some of these other guys, you know, there's some there's some counterattacking possibility. And then their wing back, Spinazzola has been in has been in pretty decent form, especially in this Europa League. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't rule out Roma. And then Fiorentina. I mean, West Ham have been woefully inconsistent. This is a winnable game for Fiorentina. Um, you know, the thing you got to watch out for is that West Ham have some players that have Serie A experience and will understand what's in front of them. Guys like, you know, Emerson Palmieri, if he's if he's chosen to start uh, at the left left back position, Lucas Paqueta has had a actually had a decent season for West Ham United. It's been up in a great season. Um, Skamaka. We'll see if he plays. I mean, Mikel Antonio has all of a sudden started to find some form at the striker position, but there's some guys in this West Ham team that know what playing in Serie A is about uh, and will be prepared for it. So, um, but I'm, I'm with you. It, I can see a scenario where all, and I'm not saying this just because it's a Serie A pod, but I see a scenario where all three of these teams can win. Uh, I don't think they will. Um, I, I think the the likeliest to win to me is Roma. Um, the least likeliest to me is Inter, but it's not that far off from the other two teams. Yeah. I think the one thing of Fiorentina too, is that, yes, I know it's the conference league and people might downplay it, but you really ultimately look at this team and you ask, you ask the question of, do they, even if it's a, it's a cup, it's not the champions league, but do they have the experience? Like, do they get here? Did they get to the stage and kind of say, like, well, we're in a final. Like, we didn't expect to be here. And are they going to ready, be ready for the occasion? You know, Mourinho's guys are going to be ready. Like, when they won and they clinched to get to the final, like, Mourinho lives for these moments. He gets up for these moments. And to your point, like, the game script plays right into Mourinho's hands, um, provided they, that defensive the defensive performance can be you know, solid. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, with the, um, you know, the books – show for some of the odds, right? They're obviously, City's going to be favored in that heavily. Um, Roma, probably not the favorite in that game. I think Sevilla will probably be a slight favorite there. And then naturally, the, the Prem bias is going to take shape for the game against Fiorentina, right? Even though West Ham have been a team that's kind of been in the relegation conversation for larger parts of their season. So it's it's going to be very interesting. I think, um, you know, regardless, I think this is a really good show for what Serie A has to offer. And you have a lot of good quality on the on, on, on this play. Oh uh, yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's uh it's 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 gonna be just it's gonna be a great advert for City A, and I think it's a great opportunity to have three stages for City A to show its quality and how far it's come. Um, you know, especially over the last uh over the last five years. Uh that it's you know, we we kind of everything kind of comes full circle that this mm-hmm. league just isn't Juve. Um, you know, that there are good teams in this that there that there are good teams in this league this the quality is better um, than even five years ago. So, um, so definitely, but the teams that might, you know, the teams that are fighting to still stay in this uh, conversation, Lecce, Spezia, Hellas, Verona for the last spot. And I think probably might be just coming down to Spezia and Hellas, Verona. 
uh, depending on how you look at this. Spezia finish home against Torino and away at Roma. Verona are hosting Empoli, then they're away at Milan. Um, I think this very well and truly comes down to the last day. I've been arguing that Hellas Verona is going to stay up. So I'm just going to, even though they're in 18th, I'm going to say that they're going to find a way to stay up. I'm going to just say Spezia. I'm going to just go out and assume that Spezia lose their last two games here. Verona win one to overtake Spezia and, and survive, and they will beat Empoli this weekend, but they'll lose on the last day to Milan. So so I've got Spezia losing out their last two. I've got Verona winning against Empoli, but then losing to Milan, and then Verona survives, Spezia go down. Uh, but how do you see this relegation? It's it's definitely coming down to match day 38. Um, I, think I, I think I would agree with you there. Um, and as you were going through like your projections on who was going to finish where, I was kind of like in my head flip-flopping because the one thing with Verona was interesting. I tweeted out very early in the season and I was scratching my head at the market they had. And the fact that it's one thing to sell players. Like if you're a, a, a seller club, a feeder club, it's one thing to sell players because that's that's the nature of, of and, and landscape of the sport. But it's another to do completely nothing on the back end to replace them. And that's exactly what Verona did. Kassam, yeah. they let go of uh, um, uh, Barak. They sold to Fiorentina. They, they got rid of Caprari. They, they got rid of literally all their top players from the year, year prior. They even sold Illich in, during the January window to Torino. And I'm like, this team is trying to get relegated, it seems. And yet here they are. They would probably, what, you would say they would probably need one win of their next two to secure safety. Um, and at the right time, they seem to have been able to get some sort of decent form. Simone Verde is a player that has played at some pretty big clubs. He's he played at Torino. He's played at Milan a little bit. Napoli, uh, Bologna. So it, he seems to be catching fire. I, I would agree with you there. I think Verona are going to barely survive. They're going to live to fight another day in Serie A next season. Um, I think it's interesting too, though, right? Because you think you can look at the Spezia uh, result that they had over Milan and think, that's the result that that's going to get them yeah. safe. And the nature of the sport and the nature of some of these teams um, jockeying for, for, for salvation, it's just you really don't know what you're going to get. And I think the ultimately Spezia is going to make that drop down. Yep. I mean, it's also this stage of the season too. You know, Spezia got to go to Torino. I'm sorry, they, got, they host Torino now coming up this weekend where Torino are arguably in for a – Conference League spot there. I mean, if you if 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 it's if it becomes to concluded that Juve is going to just get knocked out of Europe altogether, eighth is going to the uh, Conference League. Um, and right now, Monza holds it, um, but Torino's two points behind, so there's still a lot that can be decided there. Um, yeah, Kyle, you were probably the only guy watching the Lecce Spezia game. Um, I didn't get to it. I I I, I kept saying on this podcast I was going to watch it because I thought it was Kyle one of those eighteen. Kyle yeah. has a tactical analysis thread coming on the game. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, Richard said he watched it. He said it was entertaining. So um, so there's two people. <laughs> I can't remember what I had going on that morning, but I, I didn't watch the game, unfortunately. I think I caught the highlights and that was it. But anyway, um, but I also can see a scenario where Spezia find a way to win at home against Torino and, and the way Ampl- the form that Empoli's in right now, they beat Verona and then this is decided next week. So... Um, I don't so, think Milan. Yeah. Won, I don't think what, Milan come down to the game against Verona. <laughs> what's that? 
I don't think Milan fans are wanting to play Verona on the final match day with something to play for. They're hoping no, no, no. I, you know what? I can argue that Milan are going to go and beat Juventus this weekend. I mean, how motivated are Juventus going to be knowing that basically Champions League's all but taken away from them? I yeah. mean, there's a, um, you know, Europe might all be taken away, but taken away from them. I, it, that's going to be pretty compelling uh to watch what happens uh with that game for the you know for those reasons so Milan could have this decided too so yeah. we'll see there's there's just going to be a lot I mean there, there's some the penultimate match week is going to bring some some pretty interesting things I still think relegation comes down to match day 38 but I you know I won't rule out a scenario where Spezia win Hellas Verona lose and relegation is mm-hmm. decided so um yeah. so we'll we'll see what happens so um, we are going to, I think, push out the who won Calcio Twitter, uh, till next week. And we'll just have a much bigger contest. I think we've, uh, Matt's been more than generous with his time in short notice relief. Sound good? Yeah. I, I appreciate you, uh, you having me on, of course, next time we got to get Richard and maybe do like a Serie A, like season recap or something like team of the season, some of the top awards and goal of the season or something like that. We do that. We do that at the end of every after after match week thirty eight. So, quick one on Coppa Italia tomorrow. Uh, your thoughts on on on? Uh, give us a prediction. Who wins? Um, Inter. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. I think I think it's between Cup Magic from Inzaghi and I think Fiorentina's kind of thinking like. All right, like, do we really want to put all our eggs in one basket in this match? Or do we want to look to the Conference League final and try to kind of make that sort of prep work to arrange our squad to be better positioned to win that? I mean, I know it's a couple weeks out, yes, but I think you're given how you know thin some of these teams can be. Like the last thing that Fiorentina won is an injury to like a Nico Gonzalez or a key player where they don't have him for that final. So I think Inter, um, based off cup form, I just think they get it done. Maybe not even with their their best squad. But I think that Inter get it done, and they they maybe win, like maybe like a one zero, comfortable win. I don't see any Fiorentina really making any fuss for them. I agree. I, I think that, but I think there'll be more goals. I'm gonna go two one to Inter. Okay. Um, I think that they'll find a way to to win and to close it out. Let me see the over two and a half. Actually, sits at plus one hundred eight. Michael Lisi, I know that you're into that kind of thing, so that's not worth taking. That that or that that's actually. Not worth, that is worth maybe taking a stab at. So, um, but I, I, I think that Fiorentina will have the ability to get one. I just think Simone and Zaghi in cups right now is just a real live thing, and and I don't think that Vin, Vincenzo Italiano, despite getting Fiorentina to the Conference League final and the final of this conference of, of this competition, I just I, I respect what Inzaghi can do in these one offs a lot, just a little bit more than Italiano at this point. So, and for that reason, I'll give Inter the edge two one. So, so that'll be that. What an interesting season, too, for Inzaghi, right? Like, Inter fans, a lot of people were calling him for him to get sacked early on in the season. They had a slow start, just like yep. he did. And people were like, oh, this guy ain't it. Like, he, he ain't going to take this project forward. And here we are, right? They got the Supercoppa, potentially the Coppa Italia. And now they're 90 minutes away from a Champions League final, right? Like, that's it's crazy how this sport works. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's amazing what this – it's amazing what it does. So, you know, people – Pioli might have been potentially on the way out, but now he might be getting a lifeline thanks to Juventus getting penalized. I mean, it's just all kinds of crazy things happening this season. Spalletti winning his first Scudetto by a distance, and now might 
walk out. <laughs> so, um, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it wouldn't be Italy without these storylines, would it? <laughs> so. No, for sure. Yeah. We, we thought when, uh, when, uh, Zamparini left from Palermo as owner with all the sacking of coaches that we would get some sort of <laughs> stability yeah. and consistency with the league, but now. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you, there's always going to be a, there's always going to be drama somewhere. So that's going to put a bow on this edition of City I Sit Down. Once again, Matt, I can't thank you enough for uh, jumping in and helping us out on short notice. Thank you for being uh, uh, being part of our podcast. And uh, uh, cap number four, we're going to have to do cap number five uh, pretty quick here. So yeah, I'm um, be cap cap to uh, Serie A Sit Down. So I can't I can't switch podcasts. What's that? No, I'm I'm, I'm I'm fully capped here. There's no switching allegiances here. Like you know, when it comes to international players, like when they're capped to a nation, they can't move. I'm <laughs> well, we appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. So thank you for coming on chat. You guys were amazing. Uh, great comments. Great, uh, um, great insight. Great questions. Appreciate you guys as always. Sit, yeah, sit down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, Ron Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever there's podcasts, there's sit, yeah, sit down. If you are watching us here on the YouTube channel, uh, please uh, drop a like if you enjoyed the content. Uh, please subscribe to the channel and then hit that notification bell so that you are given a heads up whenever we go live or whenever we do a video drop. SityIsitdown.com. We have our own website. Check that out too. So, uh, at City I'll Sit Down on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm at FTC underscore 21. Uh, Richard at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. And I think it will be Richard and I this time next week. Last week, Richard got on a, had a couple guests. I couldn't be there this week. He's under the weather. Uh, so I think I think it'll be Richard. I think you guys are going to get the uh, the regular crew next week. Uh, you know, all, all assuming all things good and healthy and all that stuff. So. Anyway, um, wish you all a good wish you all a good night. Enjoy the uh, Coppa Italia on Wednesday. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll catch up with you guys next Tuesday. Uh, until then, as always, tell your paisans about us. Ciao.